Back in the early 2000s, I was actually living over in Italy, and me and this other guy were walking back to our house to eat lunch, but we cut through a cemetery, and as we're walking through, off on the left-hand side, we saw two guys in what looked like vinyl or Tyvek coveralls, and one was standing in a deep hole, and the other was on the edge of the hole, And I remember looking over at them as we kept walking and imagining how weird it would be if they pulled up a skull. And I thought, you know, there's no way that that would happen. It's broad daylight. People don't do things like that. That's something just from like movies or Hamlet or whatever. And the thought was pretty much just laughable uh, until the guy in the hole brought up a brown dirt colored skull. And the other guy standing outside of what I assume was a grave said, Hey, ci sono i denti which translates to, hey, there are the teeth, and he pointed at something in the grave, and I looked away. I really don't know why those guys were digging up that grave and why they were doing it in the middle of the day, but I do remember at lunch I probably didn't eat much because I kept thinking about that image of that skull, and that really bothered me, not just because it's something that I guess you're supposed to be afraid of, but it seemed to really upset me, and at the time I couldn't tell you why. Restorative arts is a big one, um, embalming um, one and two. This is Kristen Lampfear telling me about some of the college courses she has to take. What else? Uh, death, what is it, grieving and death. On this episode of That Doesn't Happen Every Day, in which we interview everyday people about things that don't normally happen every day, we interview someone who is well-versed in having to deal with death and isn't afraid of it the way I was. I thought everybody wanted to be a mortician and they're going to take my job and, you know, this is a competitive place. And it's not at all. Um, A lot of people don't want to do what I'm doing and I didn't realize that until I got into this profession that it's very much, you know, something for specific people. When I think of funeral directors, I picture skeletal old men in dark suits with string bow ties like Colonel Sanders sizing you up next to coffins that are always in the background of wherever they're at. However, when I went to meet up with Kristen, none of the stereotypes were true, except for one. Personally, I love black. I wear black on a regular basis. It's just something in my personal life. I love black. Um, But by no means do you have to wear black. You know, you're not going to want to wear a a bright yellow polka dotted t-shirt. But it's not out of the question. Just be professional, (laughs) you know. I asked Kristen why anyone would want to work with dead people. I would say that I've always been uh, interested in the um, abnormal things in life. I have an interest in psychology. I have an interest in death in itself. That's just where my mind has always been. And so being a mortician was on my top, the top of my list. I asked Kristen about the weird questions she gets because of what she does. Do they ever wake up? You know, have you ever had a moving body? How does it smell? Do you remove the organs? No, we do not. People ask, like, is it legal, you know, to spread ashes and things like that, you know? It's weird that the one experience all people will have in common one day is something we really don't know much about. Most of us are afraid of it. People are, you know, they don't want to talk about it. It's very hush-hush. It's it's taboo to, to, to discuss what's going to happen after death. Even Kristen's own son isn't in love with her profession. I can say he's not thrilled about it. 
I don't tell him a whole lot, you know, he's only 10, but he does know that I have to, you know, if I'm on call and I have to go pick up a body, I'm very realistic with him and, hey, I have to go pick up a body, you know, but I don't tell him anything more than that, you know, but he does say the biggest thing that he says, he's like, you always look so nice, mom. You always look so professional. Anytime I'm wearing a, you know, a dress or a, a suit, he's always like, your suit jacket looks so nice. So Kristen tells me about one of the most common questions she gets. The biggest one for me working here is that people associate death with haunting or, you know, paranormal. Um, I can tell you the whole time I've worked here, not one paranormal thing has happened to me personally. So I'm at a job, you know, this is my job. I'm, I'm taking care of what I need to. I'm not thinking about like ghost hunting, you know, while I'm at work. So sitting on the first floor above the basement of the funeral home, I'm glad to hear it isn't haunted, but... Maybe I should be more scared by the lack of apparent afterlife. I asked Kristen if decedents sit up and belch because that was something my friend's older brother told me growing up. Our bodies are still working, right, until we until we die. And so all that functioning is, is shutting down. And so you still have liquids. You still have all of the stuff going on in your body. And so there is air trapped up, trapped in the lungs, you know. So if we move a body a certain way, it is going to, you know, have some sort of sound. It's more, it's kind of like a gurgle. Like if you, if you were brushing your teeth and you were gurgling water. And sometimes it can be a little bit startling if you're not expecting it, but you should always be expecting it if you're going to be moving someone. So, <laughs> I asked Kristen if they've ever had anybody at the funeral home who was Jewish and who practiced Shemira, in which someone has to stay with the body all day and all night until it's buried. I personally haven't seen it, but it has been discussed. And yes, it's a very real thing. Um, we wouldn't have them uh, sit in our you know, funeral home alone, but it, it is a, a very real thing. Since I'm in a funeral home and I love to save money, I ask about the cheapest way that I could be buried. I mean, I would say a burial would not be the way to go because a burial itself is expensive. I insist that I wouldn't need anything fancy, that they could just wrap me up in an old bed sheet and then maybe use a pizza box or something for a headstone. She tells me there is an option to use cardboard, but it's not for a headstone, and it has nothing to do with burials. Our basic cremation container, it's just a, a big, you know, super reinforced cardboard box, and, and they're placed into the retort. The more questions I ask, the less this seems like tales from the crypt, and the more it seems to be, well, downright practical. One of the things that we have to think about is the removal of the body. And so if they're in a tight space, which has happened many, many times, we have to figure out how, you know, everything's going to go and how we're going to move the cot and, and things like that. And I remember doing one removal. This gal was in her bed and it was like a, a hoarder situation. And so the whole room, the whole house, I mean, there was literally a tiny little path to get to there. Um, that was a challenge, you know. And so that was probably the, mo the hardest, one of the hardest removals I've personally had to deal with. I asked Kristen to outline what they do when someone passes away. Of course, we'll get a call from the family member or a, a hospice nurse or um, even removals from a facility, you know, the hospital or a nursing home. Um, we get the call, we pick up that person, um, and we will then meet with the families and, and see what they want to do. In fact, one of the few even sort of creepy things that Kristen mentions is during a body's preparation for viewing. Sometimes you do have some weird things happen with skin. You know, skin, the body, you have to take into account, the body is breaking down as we're doing this. The embalming process will help 
you know, stop that, but it's not going to stop it completely. And so um, skin's not moisturized anymore because it doesn't have any liquid in it. Um, so that's where, like with the embalming process, we have conditioners to make sure that the skin is nice and supple and it's working um, of course, family members will bring clothing so that we can get them dressed. It is a little bit hard because their bodies are stiff and sometimes you have to cut clothing. You know, we try very hard not to do that because we want to, you know, keep them intact. But I can tell you like cotton versus leather is, it's very different. Um, so depending on the material, um, and of course we ask family members and stuff and the, you may not get these clothes back. Um, but we'll get them dressed and then we will uh, prepare them cosmetically. So do their hair and get them all, you know, prepared, make them look nice. And then, um, you know, set them in the casket. And one time I had a family want me to put the cremains in a Jack Daniels bottle. <laughs> so we had them in a Jack Daniels bottle. We kind of have an idea of, of, of what the crowd is going to be like beforehand. You know, you have your, you like your country people and your rockers and your, you know, your very religious people, you know, that are more quiet and reserved. And you have some people that are nonchalant and, and willing and laughing, you know, that are open to talking. Whereas you have other family members or loved ones that aren't going to talk. They're not, you know, they're here for their loved one and to do the quote unquote traditional way of doing a funeral service. I think personally the the hardest part per se would be dealing with the family members because you don't know what they're going through and how you know how they're grieving and you don't want to disrespect them or the decedent in any way and so there is that pressure to make sure you're doing a good job and you know you're being professional and such. I would be lying if I said that I don't get emotional sometimes because you know it is hard especially when you have a tragic uh, death. You know, we have deaths that are expected and, you know, older um, geriatric patient, patients that have been on hospice and such. But when you have a tragic, it is, it's very, very sad. You know, you have people in coming in here and sometimes it's so loud because people are just crying and dropping onto the floor and, you know, you have to give them tissues and such like that. And sometimes you do have to walk out the, the door and, you know, gather yourself and walk back in. Kristen's own uncle was embalmed at the funeral home she works at. He looked like himself, but he looked like he, you know, he didn't look like himself. And so that was really interesting for me. Given that the entire town of Cheyenne has less than 70,000 people, it would seem that fairly often decedents and those preparing them might have known each other. I ask if there's anything that prevents a mortician from preparing the remains of someone they knew, similar to how surgeons aren't supposed to operate on their own family members. It really is up to yourself, you know, if you can handle it personally. And so you not only have to be their friend, but you have to be the funeral director. You have to be in charge of, you know, making sure everything is going correctly. However, on the flip side, I personally get a, a satisfaction, a gratification, knowing that that loved one is being taken care of. And you know, you know, from the bottom of your heart that that person was, was taken care of in the way that they should have been, so... Kristen said that working as a mortician is a humbling experience. I wasn't sure what she meant until I thought again about that skull I'd seen in the cemetery back in Italy. Honestly, I don't think there is anything more humbling than to be reminded constantly, in Kristen's case, or just that one time in my case, that you are essentially a pile of meat and bones that will one day molder in a grave. And it's the same for anyone that you ever have or ever will love. Maybe that's part of why that experience upset me so much. Maybe that's why we dress in black and follow other funeral customs and traditions. 
I wonder if faced with the realization of our own fragility or that of the people we love, tradition and old ways become a way to find comfort. Kristen said she's never been scared at that funeral home. However, I was. Not on the day I went to record her there, but years before, when I'd made it to almost 40 years old without ever seeing a dead body other than the skull in Italy. That day I'd been asked by my church to help dress someone who'd passed away, and I was worried that when I went into the room where he was and saw a decedent for the first time, I'd get sick or people would see how uncomfortable I was. However, when I went in there, he was already in a pair of slacks and a button-up white shirt. He looked like he was asleep. We put on his tie and his other clothes, and while, yeah, I did feel sad about the whole thing, it felt good to do something for him and for his family. And I guess, on a small level, I understand a little bit about why Kristen does what she does. She makes sure that nobody sees the people that they care about the way I saw the remains of that stranger that day in Italy, and that everyone is cleaned and prepped and dressed as they go on to face this uncertain thing that all of us will face one day. I am enthralled with showing respect to the dead and allowing people to have a space to grieve. I'd like to thank Kristen Lamphier. This has been the 26th episode of That Doesn't Happen Every Day. I hope you'll keep listening. Please tune in two weeks from today to hear the latest episode of the show. And if you'd like to listen to it online, please go to That Doesn't Happen Every Day, Every Day is Two Words, podcast, and you can listen to every episode I've ever done on your podcast player. Thanks. I hope to have a new show to you in two weeks.